0: Minister, welcome to Conversation With. Thank you. What happens if Great Britain crashes out of the European Union on March the 29th without a deal?
1: Well, this is not an optimal outcome for the UK, which is why we're working very hard to get a deal. Um, I've always been someone who's believed that whatever the outcome of these discussions, uh, the UK has a strong enough economy and a strong enough history to survive and prosper. Whatever happens, but uh, there would be disruption. And uh, that disruption is not something that uh, we would in any way think is desirable. Um, that's why we are working very hard to get a deal. And I think we are perhaps closer to getting a deal than uh, many people appreciate, although we had some difficulties in Parliament just before Christmas. Uh, the reality is that the agreement with the EU is 585 pages, and there's really only one issue that is giving difficulty to parliamentarians which relates to the border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland and if we can resolve some of those issues I think we've got a very good chance of getting this deal through the House of Commons and avoiding those issues.
0: Looking at it from the the outside though many would say that you've had two years to resolve this so why should anyone believe that you'll be able to do it in this last sprint?
1: Well I think uh, one should never take for granted that we can. It, you know, it's going to be heavy pounding uh, for the next few weeks. But um, the history of trade deals is that they often uh, take a while to resolve themselves. And the history of negotiations with the EU is that often things are sorted out at the last minute at four o'clock in the morning. And so I think you know, we would never have expected it to have happened much sooner than it has and we've just got this this final wrinkle to sort out but um, I think we should have some confidence that it is possible to sort it out because there's a lot of determination on both sides to come to an agreement I don't think anyone uh, wants the disruption that would come from not having a deal.
0: What are the chances you'd say that Great Britain will exit without a deal?
1: Well I wouldn't want to um, put a percentage on it um, because I think that's tempting fate, and, um, you know, I think the, the truth is that uh, we cannot be certain of any outcome, and that's why we need to put all our effort into the outcome that works best for the United Kingdom and the European Union, which is to come to an agreement that works for both sides.
0: You said previously, though, that Prime Minister Theresa May will find a way. Do you stand by that, that she will find a way?
1: I believe she will. Um, for the reasons that I've said. I I think that we uh, have now reduced this down to uh, one particular issue and I think where there's a will there's a way and on both sides uh, we will find a way. Um, But no one can be sure and there's a lot of MPs in Parliament that still need to be persuaded um, and that's why the response we get from the European Union now is absolutely critical. Um, We need them to give Britain the reassurance that the the backstop on the Irish border uh, won't mean that Britain is permanently trapped in the customs union.
0: If you're certain that there's going to be a deal, or fairly certain that there's going to be a deal, then why these very large preparations for no deal scenarios? two billion pounds have been set aside, 140,000 companies have had letters sent out to them telling them that they need to prepare for a no deal scenario. That doesn't sound terribly confident.
1: Well, the word I've used is, I I think we will get a deal, Um, I'm confident we will, but um, we can't be certain of that. And that's why any responsible government has to prepare for all outcomes. And that's why we're making these preparations are very important.
0: What about a new referendum? Why not hold a new referendum?
1: Because the British people have already decided what they want to do in one referendum. They've told us that they want to leave the EU um, and in particular they want to gain control, full control of our laws, um, our borders, um, something that people in Singapore take for granted. Uh, They said we want that in Britain and they've given those very clear instructions. So One of the reasons incidentally that they gave us those instructions was because they had a sense that the political class in Britain for some time has been out of touch with what ordinary people are thinking and... uh,
0: And have you been out of touch? You were one of those who actually urged that Britain should remain in the European Union. You voted, you asked for a yes.
1: Yes, I, I think we have been out of touch and I think I have to take responsibility for the fact that the political class in Britain did not take people's concerns particularly about immigration as seriously as they wanted. So having given us those instructions um, and having done so with some scepticism that the political class has been listening to their concerns over the years, if that same political class were to seek to unpick Brexit through another referendum, I think that would make people very angry indeed and that would um, threaten the the core of our democracy which is this sense that in the end uh, Britain is a country where people like me are given jobs by the people who vote for us at general elections we work for them and not the other way around.
0: Yet we have seen referendums in other countries in the European Union Uh, Ireland for example held one in 2008 on the Treaty of Lisbon which was a very crucial treaty as well in which the Irish voters voted against it but 15 months later They were asked one more time, given the Irish government felt that they were more, the public was more informed now, and they then gave a resounding yes to it. So why is that not possible also with Great Britain? That would still be democratic after all. Are you uh, saying that Ireland was not democratic in holding a second referendum?
1: Well, different countries have different histories and there are different contexts, but uh, the United Kingdom is, is one of the oldest democracies in Europe in fact I think it is the oldest democracy in the EU and um, people's opinions about Brexit haven't really changed in the period since the referendum we've been having these huge public debates but actually if you look at the polls uh, broadly speaking uh, the people who are in favor of Brexit and the people who don't want Brexit haven't changed dramatically so uh, the reality is people have been very clear about what they want. We've had a general election in which over eighty percent of voters voted for parties that said that they wanted to leave the EU and end free movement of people. So I think the instructions are clear and what we need to do is to make a success of it. That's what the British people really want and uh, not try to unpick something they've decided.
0: You urged Remain at the time when the referendum took place. but You've subsequently said that you think that Britain will be very well outside of the European Union. Does that mean that if I gave you a hypothetical question and there was a referendum again today about whether to stay or leave, that you would vote to leave?
1: I would. And the reason I would vote to leave is uh, twofold. Firstly, because I think the British people have made their decision. And what they want us to do as politicians is to get on and make a success of something they've decided. And I think it'd be profoundly damaging for our democracy if politicians were to seek to second guess what people have decided. I think the point of a democracy is that uh, politicians work for the people and not the other way around. Um, But secondly, I think the the clear um, conclusion of that referendum process is that the British people want democratic control of our immigration policy, something that's not possible when you're inside the European Union, uh, when you have to accept free movement of people. Um, And that doesn't mean to say we won't have a sensible immigration policy that reflects the needs of business, Uh, but that is clearly the will of the British people and that's not possible inside the European Union and that's why I think uh, what we need to do is to find a path where we are uh, the best of friends with the EU, friends in the way that Canada is with Australia or Germany is with Switzerland uh, but legally separate to the EU and I think that's the way that we will settle the Brexit issue.
0: Minister, what would you say to an Asian company based in the UK but now terribly anxious about what's going to happen? Should they be moving their headquarters to Amsterdam or Frankfurt if they haven't done it already? Should they be doing like the Royal Bank of Scotland, one of the biggest banks in England, and asking the courts whether or not they can transfer their funds to Amsterdam? What would you say to them?
1: I'd say something very simple. Asian companies are famous throughout the world for taking a long-term view. And the United Kingdom is going to be the most successful economy in Europe over the medium term. We may have some bumps in the road over the next few years, no one ever thought that Brexit was going to be an easy process, but uh, where is going to be the tech hub of Europe, the life sciences hub of Europe, where's got three of the world's top ten universities, Uh, where is uh, one of the top three countries in the world for educating international students, it's the UK, those core strengths that we have in the UK aren't going to change, in fact in a post Brexit world we're going to have every incentive to make sure we capitalise on them, make them even stronger. So the UK is going to fly. Um, and uh, you want to be part of that success story.
0: And sir, am I sitting opposite the person who might possibly be Prime Minister in this highly successful uh, United Kingdom that you're you're painting?
1: Well, I very much doubt that. Um, and We have a Prime Minister at the moment, Theresa May, um, and she has said that she will step down before the next election. But that's 2022. That's a very long time away and she's doing a very difficult job right now, one of the most difficult jobs of any Prime Minister uh, in the Western world now. So uh, I think it's the job of me and and my colleagues to be supporting her to the hilt rather than speculating about who might replace her.
0: And you you feel that perhaps some of the criticism that there's been in the British press about the jostling that's taking place within Cabinet that that is damaging also even to Brexit. Uh, Do you feel that cabinet members have been guilty of putting perhaps personal ambition before what's important?
1: Well I think the press love looking for those kinds of stories Um, but what we as politicians need to do is to remember what the British people want and there's no desire that I can detect, no big desire to change Prime Minister what they want is to resolve Brexit issues and then to move on and to have a government that's tackling the other big issues we face, Um, the ageing population, uh, the need to uh, get young people on the housing ladder, the need to develop a modern economy which has jobs in the industries of the future. These are the big challenges we face, that's what the public wants us to get on with.
0: Your Cabinet colleague, Defence Minister, has actually said that uh, part of the opportunity of Brexit will be for Great Britain to have more military bases around the world, possibly even here in Southeast Asia, and in fact even here in Singapore. Is that something that you've spoken to the Singapore government about, about a military base?
1: Well, we have all sorts of discussions, but what I would point out is that we already have a permanent refueling facility in Singapore, uh, which we use. Um, uh, That's quite
0: different from a military base.
1: It's different, but, you know, we have uh, those connections. Uh, We have the, uh, we have a security agreement with uh, Singapore and three other countries. Um, And we have the Gurkhas stationed in another part of the region. So we have very strong security links. And I think what Gavin Williamson was saying is that uh, we intend to increase our commitment to the security of Asia uh, in the years that lie ahead. And part of uh, the opportunity of Brexit is for Britain to rediscover some of its uh, global links that perhaps we haven't put so much focus and energy on in the past.
0: But do you think that the British taxpayer, given their possibly inferred state of mind, would want Britain to have that kind of global power in that sense? Well, I think... Would they be willing to pay for it?
1: I think what the British taxpayer wants is a strong, confident Britain on the world stage. Now, precisely how we get to that point You know, there's a lot of debate to be had, but one of the reasons that I'm here in Singapore is because uh, I want to make sure that uh, we do keep our relationships strong with some of our oldest friends around the world, and Singapore is certainly one of those. And so, uh, in celebrating those links, uh, we also want to recognise that that is a Britain that, uh, far from shrinking away from the world post-Brexit, is going to be very present in every corner of the world. And that is something that I think other countries very much welcome.
0: But not necessarily by military bases?
1: Well, I think the military bases is a, you know, is a question where we need to have further discussions. Um, but we already have the second biggest military expenditure in NATO. And what I think Singapore and Britain and many countries uh, in this region want to see is a rules-based international system uh, where we don't say that might is right and uh, countries can do as they please. Um, but actually everyone follows agreed international norms, international rules, and where we can support countries like Singapore, ASEAN countries in upholding that system, which Britain and America put in place in 1945, uh, that's something
0: we would want to do. Minister, the US and China, though, are very strong influences, have great influence within Asia. Do you see Great Britain competing with the US and China for influence here, in Southeast Asia in particular?
1: Well, I wouldn't use the word compete. Um, I want us to play our role. Um, we are not a superpower, uh, but we are a global power. Uh, we are one of the five permanent members of the Security Council. We have uh, enormous ties uh, from history, from commerce, from education exchanges, from academic exchanges, with this part of the world as we do with other parts of the world. and. The United Kingdom has benefited enormously, as has Singapore, from the growth in trade that's possible from a world that is broadly peaceful. And we want to play our part in making sure things stay that way.
0: So this is not some kind of Great Britain trying to play some sort of global policeman role? Uh,
1: You know, we are not a superpower, um, but by the same merit, uh, if we don't want to overestimate our own strength and influence we shouldn't underestimate it either and I think countries all over the world look to Great Britain to play a positive role in uh, upholding and supporting a rules-based international order uh, which you know since we've had it in the period since 1945 I believe has been probably the most successful international order that we've had in the history of humanity.
0: But one of the arguments made by China is that they say that Difficulties here in Southeast Asia or in Asia, let's say, for example, disputes over the South China Sea, should be resolved by Asians and not necessarily by well-meaning other parties. What do you think of that?
1: Well, I think you have to ask all the countries of Asia um, what their view is of that. And and certainly there are many voices in Asia who say that they uh, would like to have a strong continuing role by the United States and also um, a strong continuing role by countries like Britain, France and Australia. So I think, um, you know, we would never want to impose ourselves on any part of the world, um, but, you know, countries that constructed this supremely successful international order, not without its faults, uh, but I think infinitely better than any of the alternatives we've had in the past, have a special responsibility I would say an obligation to do what they can to make sure we protect it as we move into a new century.
0: Minister, thank you very much for being on Conversation With.
1: Thank you Lin.